Chapter Seven of The Secret Service by Albert Richardson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Chapter Seven. Thou sure and firm set earth, hear not my steps, which way they walk for fear, thy very stones prate of my whereabout macbeth abolition tendencies of kentuckians there were two of my acquaintances one very prominent in the secession movement with whom while they had no suspicion of my real business i could converse with a little frankness one of them desired war on the ground that it would unite the inhabitants of all the border slave states and overpower the union sentiment there but i asked will not war also unite the people of the north i think not we have a great many earnest and bold friends there true but do you suppose they could stand for a single week against the popular feeling which war would arouse perhaps you are right he replied thoughtfully but it never occurred to me before my other friend also talked with great frankness we can get along very well with the new england yankees who are permanently settled here they make the strongest secessionists we have but the kentuckians give us a great deal of trouble they were born and raised where slavery is unprofitable they have strong proclivities towards abolitionism the constituents of rosier and roselius who fought us so persistently in the convention are nearly all kentuckians two chief causes of secession slavery is our leading interest right or wrong we have it and we must have it cotton rice and sugar cannot be raised without it being a necessity we do not mean to allow its discussion everything which clashes with it or tends to weaken it must go under our large german population is hostile to it about all these dutchmen would be not only unionists but black republicans if they dared perhaps it is the invariable law of revolutions that even while the revolters are in a numerical minority they are able to carry the majority with them it is certain that before sumter was fired on a majority in every state except south carolina was opposed to secession the constant predictions of the rebel leaders that there would be no war and the assertions of prominent new york journals that any attempt at coercion on the part of the government would be met with armed and bloody resistance in every northern city and state were the two chief causes of the apparent unanimity of the south the masses had a vague but very earnest belief that the north in some incomprehensible manner had done them deadly wrong cassio like they remembered a mass of things but nothing distinctly a quarrel but nothing wherefore the leaders were sometimes more specific the south said a pungent writer has endured a great many wrongs but the most intolerable of all the grievances ever thrust upon her was the census report of eighteen sixty there was a great deal of truth in this remark one day i asked my new orleans friend 
why have you raised all this tempest about mr lincoln's election fundamental grievance of the rebels don't deceive yourself he answered mr lincoln's election had nothing to do with it beyond enabling us to rouse our people had douglas been chosen we should have broken up the union just as quickly had bell triumphed it would have been all the same even if breckinridge had been elected we would have seated before the close of his term there is an essential incompatibility between the two sections the south stands still while the north has grown rich and powerful and expanded from ocean to ocean this was the fundamental grievance very liberal in his general views he had not apparently the faintest suspicion that slavery was responsible for the decadence of the south or that freedom impelled the gigantic strides of the north yet his theory of the rebellion was doubtless correct it arose from no man or party or political event but from the inherent quarrel between two adverse systems which the fullness of time had ripened into open warfare his essential incompatibility was only another name for mr seward's irrepressible conflict between two principles they have since recorded in letters of blood not merely their incompatibility but their absolute aggressive eternal antagonism during the second week in april i began to find myself the object of unpleasant not to say impertinent curiosity so many questions were asked so many pointed and significant remarks made in my presence as to render it certain that i was regarded with peculiar suspicion at first i was at a loss to surmise its origin but one day i encountered an old acquaintance in the form of a son of abraham who had frequently heard me in public addresses in kansas utter sentiments not absolutely pro-slavery who knew that i once held a modest commission in the free state army and that i was a whilom correspondent of the tribune sudden departure from new orleans he was by no means an israelite without guile for he had been chased out of the pike's peak region during the previous summer for robbing one of my friends who had nursed him in sickness concluding that he might play the informer i made an engagement with him for the next afternoon and before the time arrived shook from my feet the dust of new orleans designing to make a detour to fort pickens on my way i procured a ticket for washington the sea was a safer route but i was curious to take a final look at the interior on friday evening april twelfth i left the crescent city in five minutes our train plunged into the great swamp which environs the commercial metropolis of the southwest deep broad ditches are cut for draining and you sometimes see an alligator five or six feet long and as large as the body of a man lying lazily upon the edge of the green water the marshy ground is mottled with gorgeous flowers and the palmetto is very abundant it does not here attain to the dignity of a tree seldom growing more than four feet high its flag sword-shaped leaves branch out in flat semicircular clusters resembling the fan palm its tough bulbous root was formerly cut into fine fragments by the indians then bruised to a pulp and thrown into the lake it produced temporary blindness among the fishes which brought them to the surface 
where they were easily caught by hand with rare fitness stands the palmetto as the device of south carolina indeed it is an excellent emblem of slavery itself for neither beautiful edible nor useful it blinds a short-sighted fish coming under its influence to them it is the insane root which takes the reason prisoner a ride of four miles brought us to lake pontchartrain stretching away in the fading sunlight over the broad expanse of swelling water delicate foamy whitecaps were cresting the waves the war spirit in mobile we were transferred to the propeller alabama and when i woke the next morning were lying at mobile with a population of thirty thousand the city contains many pleasant residences embowered in shade trees and surrounded by generous grounds it is rendered attractive by its tall pines live oak and pride of china trees the last were now decked in a profusion of bluish-white blossoms the war spirit ran high handbills headed soldiers wanted and ho for volunteers met the eye at every corner uniforms and arms abounded and the voice of the bugle was heard in the streets all northern vessels were clearing on account of the impending crisis though some were not more than half loaded mobile was very radical one of the daily papers urged the imposition of a tax of one dollar per copy upon every northern newspaper or magazine brought into the confederacy the leading hotel was crowded with guests including many soldiers en route for bragg's army it was my own design to leave for pensacola that evening and look at the possible scene of early hostilities a secession friend in new orleans had given me a personal letter to general bragg introducing me as a gentleman of leisure who would be glad to make a few sketches of proper objects of interest about his camps for one of the new york illustrated papers it added that he had known me all his life and vouched completely for my soundness suspicions aroused an awkward encounter but a little incident changed my determination among my fellow passengers from new orleans were three young officers of the confederate army also bound for fort pickens while on the steamer i did not observe that i was an object of their special attention but just after breakfast this morning as i was going up to my room in the fourth story of the battle house i encountered them also ascending the broad stairs the moment they saw me they dropped the subject upon which they were conversing and one with significant glances burst into a most violent invective against the tribune denouncing it as the vilest journal in america except parson brownlow's knoxville wig pronouncing every man connected with it a thief and scoundrel and asserting that if any of its correspondents could be caught here they would be hung upon the nearest tree this philippic was so evidently inspired by my presence and the eyes of the whole group glared with a speculation so unpleasant that i felt myself an unhappy romeo too early seen unknown and known too late i had learned by experience that the best protection for a suspected man was to go everywhere as if he had a right to go to brave scrutiny to return stare for stare and question for question so during this tirade which lasted while side by side 
we leisurely climbed two staircases. I strove to maintain an exterior of serene and wooden unconsciousness. When the speaker had exhausted his vocabulary of hard words, I drew a fresh cigar from my pocket and said to him, Please to give me a light, sir. With a puzzled air, he took his cigar from his mouth, knocked off the ashes with his forefinger, handed it to me, and stood regarding me a little curiously, while, looking him full in the face, I slowly ignited my own Havana, returned his, and thanked him. They turned away apparently convinced that their zeal had outrun their discretion. The look of blank disappointment and perplexity upon the faces of those young officers, as they disappeared in the passage, will be, to me, a joy forever. Pondering in my room upon fresh intelligence of the arrest of suspicious persons in General Bragg's camp, and upon this little experience, I changed my plan. As Tootles, in the farce, thinks he won't smoke, so I decided not to go to Pensacola, but ordered a carriage, and drove down to the mailboat St. Charles, which was to leave for Montgomery that evening. I fully expected during the afternoon to entertain a vigilance committee, the police, or some military officials, who would invite me to look at secession through prison bars. It was not an inviting prospect, yet there was nothing to do but to wait. The weather was dreamy and delicious. My stateroom looked out upon the shining river and the rich olive green of the grassy shore. Upon the dull, opaque water of a broad bayou beyond, little snowy sails flashed, and a steamer with tall black chimneys left a white, foamy track in the waters and long clouds of brown smoke against the sky. Masser, Fort Sumter's gone up. At three o'clock in the afternoon, while I was lying in my stateroom, looking out drowsily upon this picture, a cabin boy presented his sooty face at the door and said, Masser, Fort Sumter's gone up. Bells ringing and cannons booming. The intelligence had just arrived by telegraph. The first battle of the Great War was over, and seventy-two men, after a bombardment of two days, were captured by twelve thousand. In a moment church and steamboat bells rang out their notes of triumph, and cannon belched forth their deep-mouthed exultation. A public meeting was extemporized in the street, and enthusiastic speeches were made. Mindful of my morning experience, I did not leave the boat, but tried to read the momentous future. I thought I could see, in its early pages, the death warrant of slavery, but all else was inscrutable. There was a steam calliope attached to the St. Charles. That evening, when the last bell had rung, and the last cable was taken in, she left the mobile landing, and ploughed slowly up the river to the shrill notes of Dixie's land. The Alabama is the most monotonously beautiful of rivers. In the evening twilight, its sinuous sweep afforded a fine view of both shores, timber down to the water's edge, dense foliage decked in the blended and intermingled hues of summer, gave them the appearance of two soft, smooth cushions of variegated velvet. After dark, we met the descending mailboat. Our calliope saluted her with lively music, and the passengers assembled on the guards, greeting each other with the usual huzzas and waving of hats and handkerchiefs. 
on sunday morning the inevitable calliope awoke us this time with sacred music at many river landings there was only a single well-shaded farmhouse on the bank with ladies sitting upon the piazzas and white and negro children playing under the magnificent live oaks at others a solitary warehouse stood upon the high perpendicular bluff with an inclined plane railway for the conveyance of freight to the water at some points the country was open and a great cotton field extended to the river bank with a weather-beaten cotton press in the midst of it like an old northern cider mill a terpsichorean young negro planters returning from new orleans and mobile were met at the landings by their negroes the slaves appeared glad to see them and were greeted with hearty handshakings at one landing the calliope struck up a lively strain and a young darkey on the bank with the terpsichorean proclivity of his race began to dance as if for dear life throwing his arms and legs in ludicrous and extravagant fashion his master attempted to cuff his ears but the little fellow ducked his head and danced away to the great merriment of the lookers-on the negro nurses on the boat fondled and kissed the little white children in their charge most ardently i saw no instance of unkind treatment to slaves but a young planter on board mentioned to me as a noteworthy circumstance that he had not permitted a negro to be struck upon his plantation for a year a texan on board the boat was very bitter against governor houston and with the usual extreme language of the rebels declared he would be hanged if he persisted in opposing the disunionists an old citizen of louisiana too became so indignant at me for remarking i had always supposed douglas to sympathize with the south that i made haste to qualify the assertion leading characteristics of southerners our passengers were excellent specimens of the better class of southerners aside from his negrophobia the southern gentleman is an agreeable companion he is genial frank cordial profoundly deferential to women and carries his heart in his hand his social qualities are his weak point to a northerner passing through his country during these disjointed times i would have said your best protection is to be hail fellow well met spend money freely tell good stories be liberal of your private brandy flask and your after-dinner cigars if you do this and your manners are in his thinking gentlemanly he can by no means imagine you a yankee in the offensive sense he pictures all yankees as puritanic rigid fanatical and talking through the nose what the world wants says george william curtis is not honesty but acquiescence that is profoundly true here acquiesce gracefully not intemperately in the prevailing sentiment don't hail from the state of massachusetts don't guess or use other northern provincialisms don't make yourself conspicuous and if you know human nature you may pass without serious trouble our southerner has little humanity he feels little sympathy for a man as a man as a mere human being but he has abundant warmth toward his own social class not a very high specimen himself 
he yet lays infinite stress upon being a gentleman if you have the misfortune to be poor and without credentials but possess the manners of education and good society he will give you kinder reception than you are likely to obtain in the bustling restless crowded north southern provincialisms he affects long hair dresses in an unqualified black and wears kid gloves continually he pronounces iron iron two syllables and barrel barrel he calls car kaya one syllable cigar siga and negro negro never negro and very rarely nigger the latter by the way was a pet word with senator douglas once while his star was in the ascendant someone asked mr seward will judge douglas ever be president no sir replied the new york senator no man will ever be president of the united states who spells negro with two g's these southern provincialisms are sometimes a little startling conversing with a young man in the senior class of a mississippi college i remarked that men were seldom found in any circle who had not some sympathy or affinity with it to stimulate them to seek it yes he replied something to egg them on the forests along the river were beautiful with the brilliant green live oak festooned with mistletoe the dark pine the dense cane the spring glory of the cottonwood and maple the drooping delicate leaves of the willow the white-stemmed sycamore with its creamy foliage and the great snowy blossoms of the dogwood with the calliope familiarity breeds contempt ours became an intolerable nuisance and induced frequent discussions about bribing the player to stop it he was apparently animated by the spirit of the parisian who set a hand organ to running by clockwork in his room locked the apartment went to the country for a month and when he returned found that two obnoxious neighbors whom he wished to drive away had blown out their brains in utter despair while i was pleasantly engaged in a whist party in the cabin this fragment of a conversation between two bystanders reached my ears a spy yes a spy from the north looking about to obtain information for old lincoln and they arrested one yesterday too confederate capital at montgomery this was a pleasing theme of reflection for the timid and contemplative mind a passenger explained the matter by informing me that at one of the landings where we stopped telegraphic intelligence was received of the arrest of two spies at montgomery the popular impression seemed to be that about one person in ten was engaged in that not very fascinating evocation in indian dialect alabama signifies here we rest but for me it had an exactly opposite meaning we awoke one morning to find our boat lying at montgomery reaching the hotel too early for breakfast i strolled with a traveller from philadelphia a pretended secessionist to the state house which was at present also the capital of the confederacy standing like the capital in washington at the head of a broad thoroughfare it overlooks a pleasant city of eight thousand people the building is of stucco 
and bears that melancholy suggestion of better days which seems inseparable from the peculiar institution the senate chamber is a small dingy apartment on whose dirty walls hang portraits of clay calhoun and two or three alabama politicians the desks and chairs were covered with antiquated public documents and the other debris of legislative halls while returning to the hotel we heard from a street loafer a terse description of some model slave he is just the best nigger in this town he knows enough to work well and he knows nothing else we were also informed that the virginia convention had passed a secession ordinance this is capital news is it not said my philadelphia companion with well-assumed glee for several days in spite of his violent assertions i had doubted his sincerity this was the first time he broached the subject when no one else was present i looked steadily in his eye and inquired do you think so his half quizzical expression was a satisfactory answer even without the reply i want to go home to philadelphia without being detained on the way copperous breeches versus black breeches in the hotel office two well-dressed southerners were discussing the omnipresent topic one of them said we shall have no war yes we shall replied the other the yankees are going to fight for a while but it will make no difference to us we have got copperous breeches enough to carry this war through none of the black breeches will have to shoulder muskets the reader should understand that the clothing of the working whites was colored with a dye in which copperous was the chief ingredient while of course the upper slave-holding classes wore customary suits of solemn black this was a very pregnant sentence conveying in a few words the belief of those rebels who instigated and impelled the war a correspondent in durant's vile the morning newspapers at our breakfast table detail two interesting facts first that jasper the charleston correspondent of the new york times had been seized and imprisoned in the palmetto city second that general bragg had arrested in his camp and sent under guard to montgomery as a prisoner of war the correspondent of the pensacola florida observer this journalist was an enthusiastic secessionist but had been guilty of some indiscretion in publishing facts touching the strength and designs of the rebel army his signature was nemo and he now bade fair to be no one indeed for some time to come end of chapter seven recording by greg giordano newport ritchie florida